Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, it reads, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, if there was ever a statement that flew in the face of our modern day culture, of our society, I would think it would have to be this one. I mean, let's face it, we aren't a people that enjoy mourning, are we? We're not a people that like discomfort, are we? We're not a people that like to seek out pain or displeasure. That's not us. In fact, we're known for the opposite, right? We are a people that want to seek out happiness. We, we want to, to seek out uh, pleasure. These are the things that we want to do. So much so that even, I mean, come on, let's face it, American. We even, we even put it there in our declaration that we, we declare every man and every woman has the right to pursue happiness. We are a people that want to pursue happiness. And, and when, you, when you speak to a people like that and you say, listen, uh, hold on, hit the pause button, God says that may not want to be your primary pursuit in life. God, God says, in fact, in His Word, that you might want to stop pursuing happiness and start pursuing brokenness. That, that instead of pursuing things that would make you feel good, maybe you should start feeling bad about the things that you're pursuing and you should mourn them and then when you mourn them, you'll find what it truly means to be happy. And you say that in our culture today, and they will stare at you with a blank face, and there'll be a complete lack of understanding. And here's my fear. It's not just a culture thing anymore. It's made its way into the church. In the church today, we think the same thing. We want to come, and we want to hear something that's happy and makes us feel good, and we want to go home and go back to our lives. And we wonder why we feel distant from God. We wonder why we don't feel intimacy with God. But we're going to get to the heart of it this morning as we talk about this second highly, highly important beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn. So let's jump in with both feet. What does it mean when Jesus uses the word mourn? What is mourning? Let's get after it, okay? Like last week, two sides of a coin. I'm going to start off by telling you what it's not. This helps me. I'm that kind of person. It just helps me greatly. So let's talk about three things that mourning is not. Number one. Mourning, uh, when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, he's not talking about somebody that is mourning in a natural or physical sense. This isn't about the loss of a loved one, okay? Many of us have experienced that. But that's not what this is talking about here this morning, okay? And, 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 and you got to get this. If you're here and you've ever lost a loved one, you know that that's not the most comforting thing ever. Now, some of us have lost, lost a loved one, and we, we knew that that person loved the Lord, they served Christ, and we know that they're in heaven. Okay, and so there's some comfort there, we're going to see them again, but there's not comfort in the fact that I can't hold their hand anymore. There's not comfort in the fact that I can't sit and have conversations with them anymore. There's not comfort there, right? Besides, last week we talked about the fact these aren't natural things. These are supernatural, spiritual things. See, if we interpret it that way, and we understand that these are descriptions... Of, of believers, and you interpreted that it was physical mourning, then that would mean that everyone in heaven has physically mourned the loss of a loved one. And that can't be, can it? That can't be. Okay? So we're not talking about mourning in a, in a, in a physical sense. That's not what Jesus is talking about. So, so now there are some scholars that, that that's what they want to say. Well, if you're ever physically mourning, then God is going to comfort you. That, that's not what it's saying. I'm sorry. Number two, when Jesus talks about mourning, He's not talking about self-pity. He's not talking about self-pity. He's not talking about, you know, the, the, the Eeyores of the world. You know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, woe is me. Life is terrible. Everything. 
just, you know, I mean, the Eeyores of the world. And, and, and unfortunately, we have more of them today than I think probably we ever have before. It seems like we live in a society today that this is, this is where they like to camp out. They like to camp out on their self-pity party, right? Now, now, our world would say, really, there's two types of people. There's optimists and pessimists, right? Either your glass is half empty or your glass is half full kind of person. I would say to you that Jesus came, that we would have living water and abundant life, and he's not about half a glass of anything, okay? But that's a whole nother sermon. Uh, but but, but here's, here's what I would add, okay? Half full, half empty, I think there's a third type of person, and that's the type of person that just complains about the glass, but my glass is too small, but my glass isn't big enough. But, but I never had enough water in my glass. I don't like the color of my glass. My parents always gave me plastic cups, and I don't know what a glass is. Come on! Now, now listen, I'm not trying to offend you if, if you're an Eeyore, but hear me today. In America, you have no right to be a self-pityer. You don't even know what it's like to suffer in America. You don't know hunger. You don't know thirst. You don't know what it is to be poor. You, you, you have no idea. Go to Africa where little children are born and their parents have died of age. And at an early age, they suddenly find themselves eating scraps out of the trash heap. Let's talk about pity now. You don't have the right to pity your situation here in America. I'm sorry, you just don't. And, and don't come to this text thinking that that's what Jesus is talking about. Because he's not. Get over yourself. I love you. I'm telling you in love. Get over yourself. Get over yourself. That's not mourning. That's not mourning. That's just self-pity. Okay? Number three, the third thing that mourning is not. It's not a lack of joy. Oh, brother. I meet so many Christians that unfortunately a lack of joy is the descriptor for their life. <laughs> you know? I, I, I don't know what happened. They, they swallow vinegar before they come to church. <laughs> Got that face and that look. I didn't like the music. I didn't like the preaching. I didn't like it. Listen, I love you, but I, I, I struggled with this. And here's what I struggled with, okay? Because the, the Bible I read says the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. Number one is love. It's not very loving. Huh? Number two says it's joy. It's joy. It's joy in Jesus. I don't care if we played the song too fast or too slow. We messed up the words or the screen caught on fire. I don't care. It's joy in Jesus. The fact that you, a sinner, gets to come before a holy God and the holy God promises to meet you in the midst of your sin. It's enough. It's enough. There's joy in the Lord, so it can't be that, all right? You heard the little story. Uh, the, the girl was riding with mom in the car, and she saw a little horse in the pasture, and she said, oh, mommy, look, it's a Christian horse. And the mom said, what are you talking about? Well, can't you tell? Look how long its face is. Not what we're talking about. Not what we're talking about, okay? All right, so that's what it's not. That's what it's not. So what is mourning? What is the mourning that Jesus speaks of? Well, first and foremost, probably the purest, uh, simplest definition, it is personal grief over personal sin. It is personal grief over personal sin. This is not grief over your children's sin. This is not grief over your spouse's sin. This is not grief over your neighbor's sin. This is not grief over the sin of our society. This is not grief over the sin of our world. This is grief over your sin. Right? Over your sin. Because here's the truth of it. If everybody else in the world was somehow magically perfect, you're not. 
That's what the Bible tells us. It says, for all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. We're all in the same boat. So I'm not trying to offend you today when I say welcome sinner, but welcome sinner. That's who you are. And and here's the deal. Our sin has a great consequence, doesn't it? What is the consequence of our sin? Romans 6.23, the wages of our sin, the paycheck we get from our sin is death. Right? And, and we think, well, that has to do with me, doesn't it? Well, yes, it would have to do with you if it weren't for the fact that a loving God stepped in the way. So, but, but, Pastor, I just tell little white lies. That's not a big deal. Well, what's the cost of your lie? It's death. That's the cost. You say, but I just look at, at other women occasionally. I would never act out on that. It's just a look but not touch. I don't, well, what's the cost of that look? It's death. You say, but I just gossip a little. I mean, just the three ladies I spend time on the phone with, right? Men, when we're out fishing, right? We're just, oh, did you hear about Benny? Yeah, everybody thinks that women are the only gossips. I know some great gossiping men. But, but, but what's the big deal? The big deal is the cost of that gossip is death. You, you know, I just finished reading The Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe with my boys. Uh, me and Cole and, and Connor. And, uh, and Caleb, and we've been reading it through it. We just finished up that book. And, and uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie or if you've read the book, but, but it's really important figure in the book is Edmund, right? The, the younger brother, Edmund. And, and if you remember, he sides with the witch at first, and then, and then he's rescued. When they go back in, he ends up with, at the witch's house. He leaves the, the, the beaver dam and, and goes to the witch and finds out she's not everything she was cracked up to be, and he needs to be rescued. And so they go and they rescue him, and they bring him back, and it's this joyous time, and then all of a sudden the white witch comes into camp almost triumphantly, almost proudly, and she declares, he is mine. He is mine because he's a traitor, and you know what the deep law says about traitors. All traitors must die on the stone table. And you remember if you've read that book that Aslan walks out with the witch. Walks out with the witch and, and speaks with her. And what he does is he offers himself. And Edmund is suddenly free, but you know that night Aslan has to go and walk to that stone table. And that next morning he is beaten. He's spat upon. He's called names and his mane is cut. He is murdered on that stone table. Friends, that is what our sin costs. That is what Jesus did. The penalty of sin, don't ever forget, is always death. But by God's grace, His Son took that death upon Himself so that we might be saved. Personal grief over personal sin, that's what it means to me. Have, have, you, have, you, have you been before the Lord lately and claimed responsibility for your sin action? Mm. Number two. When Jesus talks about mourning, what He's really talking about is contrition in its truest sense. You say, Pastor, that's a big word. It's a theological word. I give it to you because it's an important theological word. I will not give it to you without defining it. You say, what is contrition? Here it is. Contrition is a genuine sorrow and hatred of sin. Now let's pause there for a second. It's a genuine sorrow and hatred. It's not just sorrow of sin. It's also hatred of sin. You say, well, that doesn't sound very loving. Well, God doesn't love sin. Neither should you. It's a hatred of sin. This is Paul, right? Paul says, but listen, I constantly do the things that I don't want to do, and you feel his heart there, right? But then that same Paul, 
That same Paul goes beyond that. And here's the next part. It's, it's coupled with a determination to change. And so that same Paul would write, uh, later he would say, uh, so we've got to put to death the misdeeds of the flesh. Why? Because we hate it. When you hate sin, you kill it. Write that down. Go get the tattoo. When you hate sin, you kill it. That's what you do. When you hate sin, you don't fondle it. When you hate sin, you don't pet it. When you hate sin, you don't feed it. When you hate sin, you don't put a little leash on it and dance it around. When you hate sin, you don't dress it up in a pink tutu. It's not what you do with sin. When you hate sin, you murder it. That's what you do with sin. That's what contrition is. And that's what mourning over sin is. Mourning over sin is when you hate your sin so much that you are broken before God and you are determined to change. That's the picture. That's the picture. That's what it is. Now, why is that so important to God? That's the next question we've got to ask. If, 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 this, if, if this is what mourning is, and God said this is what blessedness is, blessed are those that mourn, why is that so important to God? Well, let's look at it. I've got three reasons for you. Number one, it's important because it's the, it's the second descriptor of kingdom people. It's the second descriptor of Christians. You remember last week we talked about the fact Jesus came into a very religious culture, right? When he enters into public ministry, he enters into a very religious time where all of the people teaching about the kingdom of God are religious people. And here's what religious people are about, right? Remember, they're about rules. And so the religious teachers of the day said, you want God? Fine. Keep 613 commandments. Keep them perfectly. And and they themselves had the audacity to act as if they were. It's like me standing up here on Sunday and saying, well, you've got to be perfect because I am. Brother, I'm far, far from perfect. So, so they would stand up and they would teach. Now, Jesus walks into that situation where these men are, are, are living under the old covenant. The old covenant's all about what we have to do. It's all about self-righteousness. The problem is nobody's really self-righteous. And so Jesus walks into this, this old covenant kind of theology and thinking with these people that are completely self-righteous and, and self-absorbed. And he says, no, that's not what my Father's kingdom is like. And it shocks them. And they're like, well, what, what, is, what is this kingdom? So, so here he is. He's explaining the kingdom of God. And he says, well, let's start with the people of God. The people of God aren't like them. They're not. The, the, the people of God aren't self-righteous. They're completely broken spiritually. They're spiritually bankrupt. They understand. They're, they're, they, they don't walk before God with, with their head up and their chest out saying, God, I'm so glad that I'm me. I'm so glad that I'm a tither and that, that I love you and that I don't cuss and that I listen to Christian music. and that I don't, they, they don't do that. They come before God, and, and even a long way out from the temple, like the publican, they fall to their knees, and they beat their breasts, and they cry out, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He says, that's the, that's the kingdom people. And so that's the first beatitude, and then he builds on it. And he says, not only that, not, not only that, not only is, is that their approach, but I'm telling you, the, these people don't look for loopholes. See, these Pharisees, man, they, they taught these 613 commandments, but then they tried to step around them. You following me? They say, listen, you've got to be perfect. Oh, but, but I'm, I'm going I'm to find a loophole. They manipulated the law of God. They made it substandard. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Real people of God, real kingdom people, will not try to step around the law. They will be brokenhearted because of it. They will mourn 
They will mourn, they will mourn, they will mourn. And that, that's huge. That, that, that's huge. It's not about lo- loopholes. It's about mourning our sin. That's the first description. So that's the first reason it's important. The second reason it's important. Because it's key to our fellowship with God. It, it's key to our fellowship with God. Now let's look at the second half of this beatitude. It says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be, what? Comforted. Now what does that word mean? Well, let's look at it. To comfort. It literally means to call to one side. It means to call to one side. To in, encourage and to comfort. Now here's the portrait, okay? Here's the portrait. When we are broken over our sinfulness, when we are broken over our sinfulness, you, you, you need to emphasize the when. Okay? When we are broken over our sinfulness, God does something amazing. When that happens, and it rarely does, but when it does, God says, come here. My child, come here. Come here. Come to me. Sit with me. It's going to be okay. And in that moment, friends, He heals all of our hurts. He dusts us off. He tells us it's going to be okay. And, and, and He says, let's get on with it. You can do this. right? It's, it's a picture of a dad trying to teach his kid how to ride a bike, right? What does a dad do the first time his, his kid falls and scrapes his knee? Does he just scream at him? Oh, you're useless. You'll never figure out how to ride a bike. When the kid falls and scrapes his knee and he starts to cry, the dad runs to him and picks him up. He scoops him up. He, he, the, the, the father grieves the fact that blood ever had to be shed, right? He scoops up his young boy or his young girl and, 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 and he comforts him. He says, my son, it's okay. I'm here. I am here and I will heal you. I'm going to take care of your, 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 your alleys, right? That's what dads do. But also going to put you back up on that bike and we're going to do this together. That's the portrait. When we mourn, get this, when we mourn, when, write down, when, when we mourn, God calls us to His side. It is the key to intimacy with God. It's all about fellowship. Guys, I'm not talking about your relationship with God. Once you're a child, you're always a child. But your fellowship with God can be broken. If you're here today and you think there was a time that my walk with God was better than it is now, that means your fellowship with God is affected. And if your fellowship with God is affected, I would submit to you that maybe it's because you're no longer mourning. You see, most of us look back to the day of our salvation, don't we? We think, oh, it was such a grand, glorious day. I remember I remember when I walked the aisle. I remember when I was at a camp. I remember that I was broken and I cried. And I remember when I accepted Christ that I just felt different. And I can't explain it, but I remember it. And we look back to that time. Well, why was that time so powerful? Because we admitted that we were spiritually bankrupt before God. And we mourned over our sin. And when we mourned, we were comforted by God Himself. That's why it's a mountaintop for you. That's why we've got to think back to those moments. Now listen, you say, Pastor, whoa, hold on a second. You're making a whole lot out of one verse. You're making a whole lot out of, out of this one little beatitude, Okay. Well, let, let's walk it together, all right? James chapter 4, turn there. If you don't believe that, that mourning is the key to comfort, then let's just look at James chapter 4 together, okay? Find he, Hebrews and keep going just a bit. James chapter 4, starting in verse 8, I'll read through 10. Now, he, now here, here's the deal, verse 8, oh my goodness. Verse 8 is, is, is one of our Christian happy thought passages, all right? All right? Verse 8... We, get, we, we, we have little stickers and bumper stickers and t-shirts made about the first part of verse 8. Uh, we would call it 8A because we like to label things. We love verse 8A. We like the first part of it. We, we've got t-shirts.
t-shirts and tattoos and all kinds of things about 8A, but we don't want to read the rest of it. Now, now we're going to do a little Paul Harvey here and hear the rest of the story this morning, okay? God made farmers. There you go, Paul Harvey. Okay, Uh, James, James chapter 4, verse 8, come near to God and he will come near to you. Come near to God and he'll... Now, that's the part we love and we always stop there. Oh, yes, God, what a great promise. And, and, and so, and, and then we come before God, just like we are. We'll come before God, and God, I need you. God, I need help. And we still wonder, why is God distant? Why, why do I not feel the closeness? Why do I not feel the intimacy? Maybe you're here, and that's the case. You're not feeling intimacy with God. You feel distance. I don't know why I feel distant. Well, here's the deal. This promise is conditional. He says, come near to God, and He'll come near to you. But look how you do it. Come near to God, and He'll come near to you. Wash your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts, double-minded. Get this. Here's the key. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. How do you come before God? Where is God's promise to meet you? Does He meet you in pride? No. He meets you in humility and brokenness. That's where He meets you. He meets you when you mourn over your sin. And when you do it, God will meet you. That's the promise of His Word. It's huge and powerful. Number three, this morning thing is important because Jesus came to be our present and future comfort. Our present and future comfort. There's two aspects to Matthew 5, 4. I turn back there. There's two aspects. You'll notice uh, blessed, that's, that's in the present tense, and comfort, they will be comforted. That's in the future tense. And there's really two aspects to the fulfillment of this. The first is the ultimate fulfillment. Friends, the ultimate fulfillment of of this blessedness comes in Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 through 5. uh, God says, basically, I'm going to make everything new. God is going to make everything new, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and the old heaven and the old earth will be done away, and I will come down and live with my people, and I will be their God, and they will be my people and hear the promise of God, and I will comfort them. I will wipe away every tear, and there will be no more death and no more dying and no more hurt. So you follow me, Revelation 21. There's ultimate fulfillment in the people of God, that, that, and that's awesome. There's, there's, a, there, there's a future, however far away that future is, fulfillment. But listen, there's also a present, immediate fulfillment. It's conditional. It's still in the future tense, but it's conditional. When we mourn, He will comfort. Here and now, He'll comfort us right here in this world, okay? Now now see this. This is really, really important. Blessed uh, are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Here's, Here's the present fulfillment. Isaiah 61. I want you to see this because I love it. I absolutely love this. Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, uh, is a really important piece of prophecy that Isaiah writes. Now, many of you may not know, when Jesus begins his public ministry, he enters into the synagogue in Nazareth, and he picks up the scroll of Isaiah, because rabbis would read from the scroll, and he reads this passage we're about to read, Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. And here's the deal. When I say he is our present and future comforter, I want you to see this. Jesus is saying, this is who I am. This is why I'm coming. I'm coming to be, to be a comfort. I'm coming to be all these things. It's really huge. Why is that big deal? John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning through Him. So get this. The Word of God is reading Himself, all right, basically. 
uh, the word is reading the word, all scriptures God breathed, right? So Jesus is reading revelation about himself that he probably whispered into Isaiah's ear. And this is what he stands. He stands in a religious synagogue with people that are still focused on their own self-righteousness. And he reads these words. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Me. That's, that's new covenant. I am. It's not your responsibility anymore. My responsibility. Spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Get this. To comfort all who mourn. To comfort all who mourn. Here's the deal. This is what Jesus is saying. Okay, remember, he steps into this religious environment. Now, religion is about two things. If you just want to file this away somewhere for later, it's about R&R. That's what religion is about. Religion is about R&R. Okay, it's about rules and it's about rituals. That's what religion is about. Now, that's why I hesitate. I don't like it when people call Christianity a religion. It is not a religion because Christianity is not about rules and is not about rituals. That's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about a relationship with the Christ. That's what it's about. It's completely different. Every single other religion on the face of the planet is about rules and about rituals. Now, what we, we know what rules are. They're things that you have to do to be right in, in, in the eyes of God. Okay? Uh, 613 they had. That's what the Jews had. Now, what about rituals? Well, rituals are things that you perform, okay, or do in remembrance of something that has happened, or in light of something that you are waiting to happen, okay? And those are rituals. Now, now here's the deal. The Jews were huge on these too. Think about Passover for a second. It was, it was Holy Week. What was so big about Passover, remember? They looked back to the time that God was with them when they were slaves in Egypt. It was the 10th plague, right? And it was a plague of the firstborn, and God spoke to the Jews, and, and, and he tells Moses, listen, tell them to find a spotless lamb. And, and, and to sacrifice it and to spread its blood over the doorpost and the angel of the Lord will pass over that house and they will be safe. And so the Jews, ever since that time, celebrated Passover. They celebrate this Holy Week. What are they doing? They're looking back. They're looking back to a better time. They're looking back to a time when God showed up in power. They're looking back. You think about the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. Now, what was that? It was a whole week where they would, they would build a booth, a, a tent out, out of wood, I guess. Uh, and branches, and they would live in these little tents for a whole week, right? And they would celebrate. What were they celebrating? They were celebrating the fact that God was with them in the desert for 40 years. And, and so as part of it, they built this massive menorah, and they put it in the temple, and they would light up this menorah, and it was so big that they say at night, the whole city of Jerusalem would be aglow. Okay? Now, now get this. Jesus steps into that environment. He steps into that environment, right? And the first time he, he steps foot on the scene, John the Baptist sees him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. First time, he said, He's here right now. Jesus steps into that scene, and, 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 and we believe it was, it was that holy week of, of the Feast of Tabernacles as the menorah is getting ready to be put out. And Jesus says, You don't have to think about a time when God was with you. I am the light of the world, right? He, he says, listen, you don't have to go back and celebrate that time when God provided bread for you in the desert. He says, I am the bread of life. I am. I'm here right now. I am, right? 
even have to look back and, and think about how Moses was your shepherd and led you through Egypt. I am the good shepherd, he says. Right? You don't have to think back to a time that you were really thirsty and God provided water for you from the rock. I am the living water. I am. I am. You see it? Now, here's the deal. Here's my fear. I think this is so important for us because I think we all too often, like the Jews, have a tendency to look back on some glory days with Christ. We look back and there was a time that our walk with Jesus was so good and it was so intimate and it was so great. Hear me now. That's not His heart. He came to be your ever-present He came so that you could have intimacy today. That today could be the best day, the closest day, the closest walk with Him today. Not not 50 years ago, not five years ago, not five months ago, not 50 years in the future. Today, He says, I am, I am here. I love what He says when He reads from the scroll. After He says, I'm going to come to comfort those that mourn. I love what He says. In your hearing, all these words have been fulfilled. Friends, Jesus wants to comfort you today. He wants to walk intimately with you today. But the key to it all, the key to it all is that we are poor in spirit and that we are brokenhearted and mournful over our sin. Personal grief over personal sin. So what do you do? What do we do? All right? I'm going to give you three things I'm going to hush. Number one, read your Bible. Read your Bible. Why? Because the Word of God is living and active. It is sharper than a double-edged sword. It will penetrate your heart and its hardness. It will cut out the things that don't need to be there and leave what only needs to remain. It's what the Word of God does. It's powerful and effective. It's God-breathed. It's useful. Now, now hear me, some of you are here and you're struggling. Say, but, but, but wait a second, Pastor, I, I don't know what's wrong. I don't want to read the Bible. I, I don't want to do that. But what, you want to know why? You don't want to read the Bible because you don't want a filet knife carving up your life, do you? Of course we don't want to read the Bible. Remember the two natures? You're a new creation, right? But the new creation didn't get a new body. You remember that? You're a new creation, but, but you still now you have two natures living in the same body. And I'm telling you, one of those natures is going to fight. And it is not going to let go. And it will not surrender. And the enemy doesn't want you in the Word because he knows its power. And the enemy will do anything in its power to keep you out of your Bible. And if you're here and you're apathetic about the Word of God, that something is wrong. It's wrong, and you need to come before God and confess it and just say, God, I don't know what's wrong other than I know there are two natures in battle within me. But I'm going to feed the new nature. And I'm going to read my word even though it hurts. And that leads to the second part. Hear me, you've got to change your whole mindset about church and the Bible. Ready? Here's number two. Seek conviction, not comfort. We live in a generation of people that want comfort. I cannot tell you how many self-help, self-help devotional books are on the Christian shelves today. 30 promises for a bad day. Right? You follow me? Just, just 30 scriptures that we're going to take completely out of context so that you can feel better about your sinful life. 
That should be the title. Would it be a, I think it'd be a number one bestseller, huh? Maybe I should write something. 30 promises that'll make you feel like crumb. No. I, uh, listen, here, here's the deal. When, when you go to your Bible seeking comfort, will, will you be comforted by the promise of God? Yes, but that's a temporary promise because guess what? The true comfort of God comes when you're broken and you're mourning. That's when He Himself comes to yourself and says, My child, come here. Let's meet. Let me heal you. Let me fix you. Let me put you back up on your feet. That's true comfort. Okay? Reading a promise of God that doesn't apply to you because you're not humble in spirit is not what that's talking about. Turning on a TV and listening to Pastor Happy Thoughts may be entertaining, but it's not going to help you in your walk with Jesus. It's not going to make you any closer to God because you're still a spiritually proud, stiff-necked person. And you've got to repent of that. that you, you've got to come. Here, here's R.C. Sproul Jr. said this. He said, listen, it's a sad statement on our culture when we come to church to judge the sermon, not to be judged by it. That's modern-day church, folks. We come to church wanting to be served. This is McDonald's, man. I want to supersize it. And by the way, I want it quickly and, 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 and pickles and no mustard, right? And when we're telling God what we want, and so when we're feeling bad and you know you're guilty of it, I could have an altar call right now. We, we feel bad, and so we go to God. Well, God, what's some kind of promise I could read to feel better? Oh, let me go to the Psalms. Oh, even better yet, a proverb. I'll read one verse of a proverb and take it completely out of context, and then I'll be okay. I, I read James 4.8, but just A. Can't have it that way. Listen, God wants, man, I, I can't even put into words the kind of relationship He wants with you. He wants such intimacy with you. He wants you to know that you are known and that you are loved and that you are cared for and that He is your provider. He wants you to walk and to breathe in His Spirit daily. He doesn't want you to have to face all the things that the enemy throws at you and He will protect you. But that kind of intimacy only comes through broken-hearted repentance. Only when we mourn does God provide that for us. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Number three, Psalm 50, let's see, 51, Psalm 51, verse 17. What is it that God desires? He desires a broken spirit and a contrite heart. So come before God like that. When you give God what He desires, He is going to return unto you what you desire you're going to have the intimacy and the closeness and the fellowship with Him. So hear me this morning. If that is lacking in your life, and let's just be honest, stop playing church. I hate playing church. Stop acting like things are okay. If you and Jesus are not like this right now, if you and Jesus aren't in love right now, if you're not loving reading your Bible, if you're not loving praying, if you're not loving worship, if, if, if you're not on the top of the mountain, then I want to tell you, I want to tell you where it comes. You humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. Come before God with a broken heart. Confess your sin and let it hurt. And when it does, and, and when you hate it, and when you're ready to change it, He will meet you right then and right there. And He will comfort you. Not a pastor, not another person, not, not a spouse, not a friend. The God of the universe who knit you together in your mother's womb 
who knows the number of hairs on your head and the fact that there's not nearly as many as there used to be. Men. We could change that verse. Who knows the number of hairs on your ears. Right? I don't know how it happened. It just did. Stopped growing here and started growing here. Then the God who knows that will comfort you personally, individually. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And that's our invitation to you this morning. Would you pray with me?